We're going to be over in the book of Genesis. But there's a bank in Binghamton, New York that had some flowers sent to a competitor who had recently moved to a new building. But there was a mix-up at the flower shop and the card that was sent with the arrangement read with our deepest sympathy. And the florist was greatly embarrassed and apologized, but uh, was even more embarrassed when he found out where the card had actually gone. It had gone to, uh, to an attachment to a floral arrangement that was in a funeral home in honor of a deceased person. And the card read, Congratulations on your new location. <laughs> yeah, not quite the message they wanted to get across. Huh? Talking about location though today. This is a little three-part mini-series in the series as we're looking at hindrances. The first time we looked at hindrances, we saw what hinders you. Is there a what that hinders you? Keeping you from being faithful in the things of God. Is there a what? After that, we looked at is there a who that hinders you? Because after what's, who's are probably the next biggest thing to keep us from being faithful. So that was last week. We looked at that, tied it in with the Christmas story as to what hindered God. But who is it? that can hinder you. Because there are some people in your life that can hinder you from being faithful to things, aren't there? Well, today we're going to see, is there a place that hinders you? So we got the what and the who, and now we'll be looking at the place. There are two questions that we are to look here, to answer here. The first question is, where are you? Where are you? We're going to look over here in the Genesis chapter 3 as we begin. In Genesis chapter 3, story in the garden, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to, to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor, nor touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate and the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I have heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Well, here is something interesting. We have Adam and Eve that were created perfect. Perfect in every way. They were in a perfect place. The garden was a perfect place. And somehow they fall prey to the thought that their lives can be made better by adding something. You know, no matter how good of a situation we have, no matter how much benefit there is, the thought can always come in, it can be better. It's not as good as it should be. It ought to be better. You could have the most perfect wife in the whole world. And the thought come to you, yeah, but she could be better. The most perfect kids in the whole world. And the thought comes in, yeah, but they're not this. They could have this. They could be better. Could have the most perfect dog in the whole world. And just be thinking, well, he could be better. Something could be better on it. I'd say cat, but we know there isn't a perfect cat out there. 
I don't want to... <laughs> no, no matter what it is, though, that we have, we can find fault with it. You can be in an apartment, and when you first move into that apartment, or when think back when you were in an apartment, first moved into it, oh, wasn't that the greatest apartment in the world? And then it somehow lose something the longer that you were in there. And then you find a new place. And oh, that was the best place in the world. And then it started to tarnish and to lose something. Then you got a house. And oh, it was the best house in the world. Then all of a sudden that house wasn't quite as good. You got a new car. Oh, that car was the best car in the world when you had it. But now it's a year old and it's not quite as new as it was. And well, it's still okay, but it could be better. We're always looking at things that could be better. And that can hinder you from enjoying that car, hinder you from enjoying that house, hinder you from enjoying that wife or husband, those children, that dog, whatever else that you might have. It'll hinder you from enjoying it, from walking in all that you have from it. If you keep looking at, well, it could be better here, it could be better there. Enjoy what's good about it. There's some good things. Adam and Eve, they were created perfect. They were in a perfect place. And the devil comes along and sows a thought, yeah, but you don't have this. How do you know that was there? Well, it is, and you can have it. Yeah, I'm sure I'd be better off if I had that. I wonder why God didn't want me to have it. God probably just forgot. Wanted me to have that. Somehow, your life can be made better by adding something that you don't have. They wanted to add something they didn't have. Isn't it easy for our eyes to be drawn on to what we don't have? I don't have that. Wish I had that, but I don't have that. I got this, but it's not as good as that. Look at that over there. Oh, that's so much better. Yep, they want something that they don't have and they can only get it through disobedience. Only way you can get it is through disobedience. Now, you know that, but you're justified in all kinds of ways, just like Adam and Eve did. Justified? Well, we'd have to disobey God to do it, but I'm sure God wanted us to have this. I'm sure this is just an oversight on God's part. God certainly will want us to have the knowledge of good and evil. No, God just wanted you to have the knowledge of good. The knowledge of evil gets us in all kinds of trouble. We get into the same problem when we were younger. I know she's unsaved, but... Boy, is she pretty. I just know I'd get her born again. We could be happy together. Uh-huh. I know I'm supposed to be here, but over there looks so much better. Over there looks so much nicer. I know I shouldn't lie and cheat, do all these things to gain things, but look at what I'll gain if I just tell this little lie here. There's all these things that we can have, folks, if we just disobey a little bit. Just step out a little bit. We're talking about where are you here? We're talking about where are you as far as position? Where are you in the, in position? In your walk? In your talents? In your fellowship with the Lord? In your understanding? This is the positional area. Where are you in your position? When God came down to, to Adam and Eve and they, He said, where are you? He's not looking at where are they location-wise. He's looking at where you are in your position. You're hiding from the presence of God because your position has caused you to run and hide where before you could stand in the presence of God. Well, we were ashamed because we were naked. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree? Yes. Well, this woman you gave me. The woman, well, the serpent. It's always somebody else's fault. These are the things that we grow in. These are the things 
that we grow in. I can grow in my walk. I grow in my fellowship. I grow in my talents. I grow in, in my understanding. These are not just things I come into. These are things that I grow into. And you got to work to grow into those things. But grow into them. Don't get them by disobedience. There's not an easier way. When Jesus was in the wilderness, did not the devil try and get him to pursue something through disobedience that God wanted him to, to grow into and to gain? All the worlds. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you just bow down. If you just bow down. Well, he didn't do it. No, don't do it. Don't give in. Stand your ground. I know that would be disobedience. And I'm not going to let that hinder me from where I'm supposed to go. I'm going to keep on going the right way. Well, other people get ahead by doing it. That's other people. That's not me. I know better than to do that. I'm not stepping in there. Don't let that happen. See, there's the what that hinders you. There's the things that come up in your life that can hinder you. There's the who's. There's the people. But then there's also this. There's these distractions that come up. There's these things that are, oh, I just need to have this. And sometimes we'll get stuck in the, in the thinking that until I get that, I will never grow. I will never develop. I will never become this. I'll never have that. I'll never walk in this. Until I get this, until I have this area down in my walk, until I get this talent, until my fellowship is at this level, until my understanding is here. All these things that are in the area of position. Until I have that, I, I, I can't do it. And we sit back on the sidelines and wait because I don't have this in my life yet. Once I get that, then I'll go ahead and do it. Then I'll go ahead and step out. Well, quit it. You're letting one of these things, your location, your, or, I'm sorry, your position in life, your position where you are in all these things, you're letting that dictate where you are and how faithful you are. Stop it. Well, I'm not as good of a singer. Well, I'm not as good at this. Well, I don't know the Word as well. I can't go out there and share the Word of God with people I meet on the street because there's a whole lot of questions that I have. Well, I bet you can answer a lot of questions that they have. You've got to take the knowledge that you have and start giving it out to other people. Stop sitting there waiting. I've got to get more understanding. I've got to get more. No, let the Spirit of God give you stuff. I've told you about this before, but a lot of times people will come and ask me a question and it's not something I've ever given thought to or thought about before, but up in my spirit will come and answer. And sometimes it'll just tie things together that I already knew, but I didn't see the tie together. And all of a sudden, God gives me the tie together. And what? I, I wouldn't have known that person hadn't asked me. So they, they gained benefit from it. I gained benefit from it. But you've got to be out there. You've got to be ready. Give, be ready to give an answer. So position. Where are you as far as your position is concerned with God? Where are you in your walk with God? Where are you in what you do for God? What is your position? Don't blame other people for this. It's up to you. You determine where your walk is. You determine what you do with your talents. You determine what you do with the abilities that God's given you. You determine how you grow your understanding. How much word do you listen to in the course of a week? I'm pretty doggone determined that I listen to more word than all of you. I expect to. If I told you how many hours of word I listen to, people I'll, I'll download sermons from, just to just get keep the word going in my head. I just want that word going in my head. Listen to scriptures being read. Listen to some of old, old Brother Hagin's old things. I've heard them before. Go over them again. Go over them again. Go over again and again and again and again. 
If it's good enough for me to go over it over and over again, it's good enough for you too. Get out there and keep listening to it. Keep meditating on it. We put these sermons up on the internet for you. You can go out down there and get them. If you can't afford the $3 for a CD, good. Go get down there and download them. They're free. <laughs> you don't have to pay nothing for them. Go out there. Other, other uh, ministries have, have do the same thing. Go out there and get some of those. Listen to it. Go over it and over it and over it and over it. Push your understanding. Father God, I'm going to get that understanding. Meditate on the Word that you know. When you have been given something, honor that position, honor that thing, and give it your all. Don't sit there and say, well, I have this, but I'm not that. Well, I wish I was over there. I wish I was, instead of being on, on this part. No, you've got to be faithful and you've got to be diligent on those things. When I, I mean, even in a pizza parlor. I worked at a pizza parlor. You had to be faithful washing dishes before they trust you on the make table. You didn't just get put on the, on the uh, table to cook pizzas. You had to earn that position. So when you first get in there, you, you, you mop the floors, you wash the dishes, the waitresses need help, you bust the tables, and you demonstrate faithfulness there. They didn't just put you out there on the make table. Then after you demonstrated faithfulness and you're going to stick around with them, then they start training on things on the make table. How to make a pizza. But you didn't get trusted with the ovens just yet. That took, that came later. You got to get first trusted on the make table. Make sure you know how to make the pizzas and do the things there. And then you got put on the other. Now, see, they were very sexist in our, in our place. The ladies were waitresses. The guys were cooks and dishwashers. That's how it was. The guys washed the dishes and the guys cooked the pizzas and the ladies took them out to the tables. I never knew a man who worked in our restaurant who ever waited on a table. Now, we would help them sometimes. They'd get backed up. We would sometimes come out from the kitchen and take a pizza to the table, but they did all the rest of it. And they didn't come back and help us out on the make table either. I don't know why it was that way. Just the way that it was. So you had to know your, know your spot. But we didn't aspire to be waitresses. They didn't aspire to, to be cooks and things like that. And, but both positions were just as important in order to keep people happy. But you had to start at a certain spot and be faithful in it. We're over in Genesis chapter 12. This is a familiar scripture to you. Both of these uh, areas are. But we want to take a look at this in the area of faithfulness and answering our second question. The first question is, where are you as far as position? The second question is, where are you in location? There's your position, your walk, your fellowship, things like that. And then there's your location, where you actually are. What town you're in, state, job, office, stuff like that. What's your physical location? So the first are things that we grow in. Second are things, that, these are things that we go to. I go to a new town. I go to a new job. I go to an office. Just a review here. Let's go back to chapter 11 in Genesis. Look at verse 27. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Harat begot Lot, and Haran died before his father, Terah, in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans. Then Abram and Nahor took wives and came, and the name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, and the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren. She had no child. And Terah, his son, Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, his son Abram's wife, 
Then they went out from the from them, from Ur of the Chaldeans, to go to the land of the Canaan, and they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were two hundred and five years, and Terah died in Haran. Now we talked about this when we spent time a few years back in the book of Genesis, and we started going over this, but the uh, reason that Abraham was on his way to Canaan was because of his father. Now, whether his father got the word first or Abraham got the word and his father responded to it. But look at verse 31 again. And Abraham took his father and grandson Lot. No, it doesn't say that, does it? Isn't that how most of us have read it? And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot and the son of Haran and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran. Now there's speculation here what happened in Haran. More than likely in Haran, his father, Abram's father, took ill on the journey. And they stayed there for a while while he was still ill, but he never recovered and eventually died. Must have been a long time because it was a long enough time that they established residence that when Abram and the rest of the guys sent back for wives, where did they send to? Did they send to Ur of the Chaldeans? They sent them back to Haran. So apparently some of them stayed back and that became their new home for this family. And only Abram and Lot left Haran to go to Canaan. So then we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 12. This is where most people pick it up and they lose the fact that how involved Abram's father was. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family. The Lord, what? Had said. Didn't say it now. Had said. So somehow Abram got this word as well and it looks like his father was either received the word or obeyed the word, whichever it was. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house. There was supposed to be a leaving from there and that hadn't happened yet. To a land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Does Abram know where he's going? He just says, to a land I will show you. Does his father know where he's going? Go back over to chapter 11. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son's Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to a land that God would show them. Isn't that interesting that his father knows where he's going, but Abraham had a word that did not tell him where he was going. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. Where did he depart from? Haran. Not Ur. He already left Ur. His father took him out of there. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran. Does that sound like they just stopped over? The people they had acquired in Haran. They were there for a little while. They acquired things there. They traded. They gained possessions. And they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land in the place of Shechem as far as the terebinth tree of Morah, and the Canaanites were then in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, 
To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. Then he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abraham journeyed going still toward the south. What land is he in? He's still in Canaan. Now there was a famine in the land. In what land? The land of Canaan. The land where God told him to go. There is a famine. And Abraham went down to Egypt to dwell there. For the famine was severe in the land. What land? Canaan. So God tells him to go to Canaan. He follows. They get stuck up and around for a while. They get renewed on the vision to go on down to Canaan. They go on down to Canaan. They get there and there is a famine. Now there's all kinds of stuff. We'll have to get up in the heaven to figure out all the, all the things that went on. Was Terah supposed to leave with Abram? Seeing that Terah got the word, understood the word, maybe he was supposed to send off his son and then they wouldn't have held up over in Haran. And then when they got to Canaan, there wouldn't have been a famine. But we have to wait to get to heaven to find out all that stuff. They didn't write all that down for us. So Abram went down to Egypt. Does God tell Abram to go to Egypt? Where does God tell him to go? To Canaan. Did God say, if it gets hard for you in Canaan, go down to Egypt? He didn't say that, did he? Egypt just always seems to be a problem for this family. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Now, he's 75. Therefore, what happened? When the Egyptians see you, that they will say that this is, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, and she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commanded her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. And still Abram does nothing. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had cheap oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his, and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Now this is interesting. The Pharaoh even seeks after God. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him that they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. Now, as you read this story, how long do you think he was down in Egypt? Couldn't have been too long because he goes down there, he predicts that they're going to like his wife and they did. And they uh, went after his wife and had her in a chamber. They were, he was preparing to take her as wife but had not yet. So I can't imagine that a whole lot of time, some time passed. Maybe some weeks, maybe even into some months. But we're not talking about years here. This all didn't occur over a number of years. And so he uh, offended them, and so they had to get out. In verse 13, verse 1 of chapter 13, Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had and lot with him, to the south. The south of what? South of Egypt? The south area of Canaan, which is where he had just come from. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel 
to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. That's not south of Egypt, is it? That is in Canaan. So he gets down to Canaan. Why is he in Canaan? Because God said to change his location to Canaan. So he gets down to Canaan in the new location and finds out it's not quite what he thought it would be. It's tough. There's a famine in the land. It's not quite as much food for him. There's, it's not as good as he would like it to be. And so what does he do? He leaves. He goes to a place that God did not say to go to. We have no impact. We have nothing written about how, uh, how much he impacted the Egyptians for the sake, for the things of God. We just see that he deceived them. They got mad at his deception and kicked him out. And he heads back up north. How much plague or how much uh, famine can be dissipated in a matter of weeks or months? So when he gets back up to Canaan, it is, it doesn't mention it, but more than likely there's still a famine in the land. At least somewhat of one. Because over a period of a few weeks to a few months, I can't imagine a whole lot of, now maybe it's gotten better. Maybe they're on their way back up. But is the trip to Egypt real beneficial for them? I can't see that it is. I mean, as far as the stuff is going, he still has a lot of stuff and the stuff's still increased, but I think his wife's a little mad at him now. I mean, wives, would you be mad at your husband if this happened? Would you hold that against him a little bit? You let Pharaoh take me into his, uh, into his uh, group there. And you know what he was planning. You didn't do nothing about it. Not liking this a whole lot. Well, he's in Canaan because that's where God said to go. He's in Egypt because that's where he saw the easy way was. Isn't that just like Christians today? We get to where God tells us to go. We're in the place God tells us to be. And all of a sudden, it's tough. And I'm hindered from being faithful because the location isn't the best. I don't necessarily like this location. I don't necessarily like this thing. I, I don't like the climate. We've been working on Philip for that one. Philip says, we tell him, come on up here. He says, nah, I don't like the north. Well, if you want to disobey God. It's true. Noel and I both, we've been working on him real good. If you want to keep continue to disobey God, go ahead. <laughs> we have lots of fun with Brother Philip. He is back by China, from China, by the way. They did let him go. I told him that's what I was praying, that they would let him go at the end. He uh, sent us a sent me a text message on Christmas, and we were able to find a few things out. But here they're in Canaan and going to Egypt, and are now back in Canaan again. Now he's still prospering; he's still being blessed. Things are still going good. He didn't necessarily lose all his money. Sometimes we think that if we get into the wrong location, we have to lose all of our money. Everything has to go bad in order for us to realize that. Apparently, that didn't happen. But he saw, well, if I just lie here, I can protect myself. Well, just be in the right place and God will protect you. That's all. Be in the right spot. Be where God has told you to go. Well, they moved on to Canaan, but finding it lacking, he went to Egypt, we said in your outline. Isn't it terrible when God leads you to a place where there is famine? Isn't that terrible? I mean, God didn't know it. How many have ever been led to a place and there's famine? God tells you, take the new job. Go over here to this job. And as soon as you get there, they start laying off people. What do you do? God, what are you doing? They're laying, you brought me to a place and they're laying people off. I, 
I, I had a job. I was securing that job. And you brought me to a... And they're laying people off. There's famine in the land. What do we want to do? Going back to the old place and say, will you please take me back? Why? Because God said so? No, it's not because God said so. It's because we want to go where there isn't a famine. But it's much easier to go to Egypt than it is to stay in Canaan when God called you to stay in Canaan. You take a new job and that new job is kind of hard. It's kind of rough. I told you the story about Ken's Pizza when I took that, took that job because God said, go there, work there. And I got in there, I saw more immorality, more nasty stuff than I had ever seen in my entire life. And I didn't like it. I was not enjoying going to work. I was ready to quit. Not only was I ready to quit the job, I was ready to quit Raymond and head home. It's just all bad. There's famine in the land. As far as the schooling was concerned, Raymond wasn't all that challenging academically. I could answer most of the questions and get through most of the classes without even studying. So it really wasn't challenging me a whole lot that way. And work, well, you know, it's just it's not that great. I don't like all this stuff. I don't like the things that the waitresses are doing with the cooks and all the things that are going on around here and the drugs that are going on and all the other. This is just not my place. to. I was ready to quit. I was ready to justify it all. God took me on down here just to show me I didn't need to be here and going back. I had it all justified perfectly well. But you see, when God calls you to go to Canaan, Egypt isn't any good. Well, I stuck it out and eventually it got better. But I had to stick it out. Yet, when God tells you to go to a spot, He knows that there is famine in the land. He knows that there is going to be famine in the land. And He can provide for you. Did He not provide for Elijah when He sent him to a place that also had famine? Did He not provide for the children of Israel when He sent them into the wilderness where there was always famine? Is there ever not famine in the wilderness? You ever find flourishing fields? If there were, it wouldn't be the wilderness. They're in the wilderness. But did God not take care of them there? See, wherever God's going to take you, wherever God's going to lead you, He's going to, he's going to supply things. You just let Him do it. Just hang on to it. But see, we, we, we want to get like the Israelites that we pick on all the time. Why did you lead us out here to die? Why did you take me to this job and the jobs are going to dry up? The company's going to go under. Can't believe that you did this. I had a good job. Gave it up because you told me to. And now look. I know none of you have done that, just me. We have nothing that shows us he followed God to Egypt. And only one event is reported, and that's the event where he lied. So Abram moves back to God, to, to Canaan, and God speaks again, but only he only speaks to him after a certain event. There's a certain event that occurred, and after that event happened, God spoke to him again. Go back over to chapter 13. So he went to the place between Bethel and Ai, verse 4, to the place of the altar which he had made, there at first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot also who went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together. So apparently there are still some remnants of the famine because the land's not able to support both of them. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. Then there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And the Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So they'd come to a spot and they'd find some areas where the, the flocks could glean and could eat. And uh, Abram's guy, we saw it first. No, we saw it before you guys. And they're, you know, they're fighting over this, this pasture and that pasture. And that's some of the things that would go up. 
So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before us? Please separate from me. If you take the left, I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to, to the left. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of the Jordan, that it was well watered before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord. Like what? Hmm. So he's calling the land of Canaan here like the garden of the Lord. How many of you here for Wednesday night when we looked at the, the location of Eden? Nobody? No, a couple of you were. For those of you who weren't, missed it. You can go back and get the tape, but it won't be as good. We had a lot more stuff going on. And, and that. that's one of those Wednesday nights you had to be here for. Amen. It is not the whole land before us. Separate. So he's looking up his eyes and he sees the well-watered plains like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan and Lot journeyed east and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. So he went over where the well-watered plain was, where it looked like there would be lots of food for all his flocks and chose that way. What was he led by? Led by all natural stuff. He's led by lush-looking fields, what looks like an abundance. He's, he's led by the economics of that area. That, that place seems to have better economics for where I'm going. It had greater appeal. But most people move from one place to another based on economics. They base it on appeal. Change. Sometimes, oh, I've been here for so long, I think I just need to change. Who does? Who thinks that? Well, I just think I need a change. Who thinks that? Whose servant are you anyway? Whose servant are you? If you're a servant of God, don't you think He needs to think you need a change? I appreciate all those amens. Most people move from one place to another based on economics, appeal, change, or who they will be close to. There's something that was an appeal apparently about the folks in Sodom because not only did he get in the wilderness, he started pitching his tent closer and closer into the city. And as the story goes on, we find out not only was he close to the city, but he sold his tent, sold all his stuff, and had a place in the city. He didn't have that right off the bat. And he got so used to being around these folks that he bought a place, lived in the city, lived amongst these evil folks. Had no problem with it. Now see, people that are moved from one place to another, another based on economics, appeal, change, or who they'll be close to, cannot be trusted with an assignment that involves strength, endurance, and patience. They cannot be trusted with an assignment that involves strength, endurance, and patience. God will observe you in your life. And when He sends you to a place, He sends you to a location, He wants to see how quickly you become frustrated and want to leave that city. We want to leave that neighborhood. Hello. Want to leave that job. See, because what happens is I want to leave just like I was when I was down there at Ken's Beach. You know why I wanted to leave? Not because God says, you know what, there's a better job for you over here. And I found better jobs. 
I knew where there were better jobs than the one I had. You know why I wanted to leave? Because I didn't like where I was. I wasn't happy where I was. Did God send me to where I was working? Did He say, you know what? You're going to be happiest here. I'm going to put you there. Did God... No, He didn't say that. He said, that's where I want you to work. I said, yes, sir. And I didn't apply to any other place. That was the first place I applied. Never applied to a single other place. That was it. Because God says, that's where I want you to work. So I worked there. But, you know, I was going back on that. Maybe I just missed... Maybe I just didn't hear right. You always want to question that because you got to first of all question that God led you to the place in order to question that God wants you there. So I began to question all that stuff and determined that, you know what, I, I, I just, no, this isn't right. This isn't good. Now, I later on saw the hand of God and all the things that were going on, but I sure didn't see it then. How many of you have been in a place like that? Not now, of course, you know, other times in your life. Where it just seems like everything is coming down on you where you're at. And it is a hindrance to be faithful to God. To be faithful to what God said. God had told Abram, go down to Canaan. Was he faithful with that command? No. Because he gets down to Canaan, he finds famine, and he leaves. When God puts you in a job, folks, don't leave that job till God says so. You make sure that you get the peace of God before you leave it. Because there's some, there's some things. I mean, my wife was working in one spot and I told her, just in the natural, I wasn't you know, trying to tell her God told me or anything like that. I just said in the natural, I'd leave them. Just the way they treated you, the way they said things, the way they did things, I'd leave them. She, she stuck in there. She said, I don't have a peace about it yet. Then all of a sudden she did and quit it. So you've got to be led by God. We can be led by the natural. How many of you have ever got offended at something that happened at work? When to leave? I told you what they told us down at Ramah. I even forget who said it. Could have been Brother Doug. I had more classes with him where he would have said that, but I think it was actually somebody else. And they, they would teach us. It was probably Doc Horton. I think, of it. I think it was Doc Horton. He told us, he said, never leave a church on Monday. Now, if, now, some of you will get a little bit of that, but if you've never pastored a church before you'll, you, or been involved in ministry, if you've been involved in ministry in any way, don't have to just be a pastor. you've been involved in ministry in any way, you know Monday's the day you generally want to leave. That's the day. Everything crashes down from Sunday. You can come out of a good service and by Sunday afternoon, hear all these things are going on and all oh, it is so bad. You slept on it, you get up in the morning, and that's it, I'm done, I'm quitting, I'm out of there. And they told us, he tell us, don't quit on Monday. Didn't say anything about quitting on Tuesday. But don't don't quit on Monday. And I'll tell you, that's helped me out a few times. When you want to quit on Monday. And you know, no, no, hang on there, hang on. You gotta have you gotta have some stick to it of this. Just because, folks, just because I've stayed here for eighteen, almost nineteen years now, don't think it's been all easy. Just because my wife and I are still here, pastor in this church, don't think it's been all easy. Just because we love you, love to hang out at, at dinner afterwards and enjoy all your fellowship. Don't think it's all been easy. Don't think Mondays haven't come. They have. <laughs> We're hanging on. All right, they said, not on Monday. I'll wait until tomorrow. <laughs> but tomorrow, that's it. <laughs> yeah, that'll get in there. 
Don't think it hasn't. Just because people stick with something doesn't mean it's been easy. How many of you have stuck with a job and it hasn't been easy? Yeah. Sure it has. That's testing you. That's seeing, are you going to do what God said to do? Are you going to move when God says to move? Or are you going to move when you say to move? Most people move from one place to another based on economics, appeal, change, or who they'll be close to. They cannot be trusted with an assignment that involves strength, endurance, and patience. If God cannot see that you can be trusted, He's not going to put it in your hands. Because there are some positions in the body of Christ. There are some things that are out there to do that take tremendous endurance, tremendous patience, tremendous strength. And if you are not ready for it, God will not put you into it. You may think you're ready. You may see all the talents and abilities and things that are going on in your life. That you, well, I'm ready now. God says, yeah, the first sign of opposition, you're out of there. I can't put you in that just yet. Here's the last one. Spiritual matters are dealt with upon arrival. Does Lot, when he looks at the plane, do you see any consideration to Lot say, well, what church will I go to down there? What's the spiritual condition of the areas of the plane? What influences will they have over me and my walk with God? Now, if you folks that are here in this church, you're not just most people who come into a full gospel, charismatic, word-oriented type of a church are not content with just the status quo Christian life. They don't want to just show up in church on Sundays. And then, you know, do whatever they want to until the next day. You're pursuing after God. You want God's will for your life. You want to know God's Word more. There's something more you want out of that walk. Something more that you want out of it. And I've seen more people who have been that way get around the wrong people and lose it. Dr. Ken Stewart, one of our teachers, he was a teacher first year I was down there. He's, uh, some of you may know, he's done a lot of things on the national level. But he would teach us down there. He was one of the few uh, Rhema teachers who actually graduated from seminary. We didn't have too many of them in there. and people would co- So people would come up to him and say, what seminary do you recommend to go to? He said, none of them. And he was a graduate of one. And he told the story about his, sto- his school that he went to. He said there were ten of us, all spirit-filled, full gospel, called into the ministry, buddies. Ten of us. We all went to the same seminary together. He said, I'm the only one that survived. One out of ten. Now, he survived well. He's, he's a good teacher. I enjoy him. But you get around the wrong folks. You're not pursuing that. You get around people who don't believe in healing, that Jesus Christ is the healer. What happens to your view of healing? You get around people who don't believe you have to endure, what happens to your endurance? You get around people who don't believe that spiritual gifts are for today, what happens to your pursuit of spiritual gifts? You you get around the wrong people, they're going to influence you in the wrong way. And you're going to lose some of that hunger. Don't think that you can't. You surely can. Not me, other people. Oh, yeah. I knew what kind of a man Dr. Stewart was. And I had an an idea of what kind of people he would have as buddies. And they would have been pretty admirable people. Spiritual matters are dealt with upon arrival. Don't ever deal with spiritual matters later, folks. 
Don't ever just, well, I'm just going to make a move and do this and whatever happens. No, you deal with spiritual matters first. It's imperative. It's important that you understand what happens spiritually. Got to make sure that you know that. But get to a place where you can be trusted. How many of you have been, are in a job and it takes some endurance to stay there? It's testing your endurance level. They are pressing your buttons. They're doing this. They're doing that. And you keep having this, I am ready to get out of this job. Did God lead you to that job? If God led you to that job, then who should lead you from that job? How many of you bought a house and prayed about it and God led you to buy that house? And after you buy the house, you know, you can't interview the neighbors before you buy the house. You find out who they are after you buy the house. And you've got some neighbors that you'd rather not be around. Did God lead you to that house? Did God tell you to buy that house? Who is telling you to move from that house? <laughs> Your neighbor, yeah. <laughs> Just stuff that's going on in that. We gotta stop him being moved by all this stuff. We gotta stop being the lots that look out amongst the plane. They say, oh, this looks good over here. Let's go over this side. Then they get there and they find out it's not so good. Lot went after this area and when he leaves, he leaves with nothing. He went in with great abundance. He came out with nothing. Now understand this. I'm not saying that Abraham was necessarily led by God. He said, if you go right, I'll go. If you go left, I'll go. He's going the opposite direction. But God had opened the whole land up to him. He says, this whole thing is yours. It all belongs to you. But what was the word that God had said to Abram originally? Going back, take a look at it. Verse 1 of chapter 12. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Verse 14. Then the Lord said to Abram, After Lot had separated from him. That, look at that. Then the Lord said to Abram, After Lot had separated from him. Why do you think it makes a notation about that? Because it was important? The word was, get away from your father's house, family. Now he finally did. Lot went the other way. Lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are. Northward, southward, eastward, and westward. Does that include the direction that Lot went? For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its breadth, for I give it to you. Then Abram, Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the turban trees at Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar to the Lord. After Lot had separated from him. God does not speak in paragraphs too often. Most times He speaks in sentences. 
This is one of the few times God spoke in a paragraph and gave Abram a paragraph of things. But in that is really only a few things that he had to do. Most of it was about what God was going to do for him. He said, separate yourself from your father's house, from your family, and go to a land that I have shown you. He didn't say to leave the land. He said to go to the land. He wanted him to dwell in the land. He wanted him to live amongst the land. No matter what the opposition, despite the fact that there was famine there. You may be at work hearing all the things about the economic crisis and all the things that are going on in our country. And your thought is, oh no, my job is going to dry up. Oh no, this is going to happen. Stop fearing what might happen. And trust in God. Father God, you led me to this place. You led me to this place to work. You gave me this job. You opened the doors. You showed me what to pursue. You gave me favor. Whatever it is that He did to get that thing taken care of, He did it for you. And Father, you didn't just do that until such a time as the economy was more powerful than you were. I thank you that you blessed me wherever I am. If they hand you a pink slip tomorrow, don't you get in fear and trembling about it, Father God? I stayed here as long as I could. They won't have me here anymore. So now you're going to move me on to another place. I would stay here longer until you led me to go. They had decided that they don't want me here anymore. So where would you like me to go now? And just trust God. Just walk in that trust with God. You are, in, you are developing in yourself strength and endurance. And you need to have strength and endurance to do anything great for God. Because when you get in front of people, people will wear you out. There is the what that hinders, but oh, there is the who. <laughs> Which we spent time on last week. But don't let the place wear you out either. You stay in that home. You stay in that neighborhood. You stay in that job. You do the thing that God told you to do. You stay with that one God told you to minister to until God tells you, I'm done with that one, move on to someone else. You stay with it. You don't give it up. Don't let things, people, or places hinder you. We told you before we got into all this about patterns. and It was important that we got into patterns before we got into these things on hindrances. Because the patterns that you let Things, people, and places have on you are patterns that will stay with you until you break them. Develop a pattern that people will not hinder you from obeying God. Develop a pattern that things that come up will not hinder you from obeying God. Develop a pattern that places will not hinder you from obeying God. I don't care what place our economy is. You are in the family of God. Trust Him. Stop making plans to adjust everything and go out. When the gas price was getting higher, no one here did it. That's why I can say not picking on anybody, stepping on anybody's toes. None of you said, oh, I may not be able to go to church anymore. Gas is too high. You didn't say that. You knew where God had called you. You knew where God told you. You knew where you were placed. And you stayed right with it. 
Don't let the economy throw you either. Don't let the numbskulls in Congress who want to raise your gas prices on their own, just artificially. They're talking about adding more taxes and fees and things like that to it. Just because they don't think you're paying enough for gas. <laughs> you don't let all that weigh you down. Stay faithful despite all these things. And you will develop strength and endurance. Strength and endurance that will go far for you in everything that God calls you to do. God needs to know if I put you in a place where I need to depend on you, will you stay? Will you stay? Or you will quit the church on Monday. Will you quit what you're doing as soon as it gets tough? Will you stick it out? If you keep being moved by all the nice little things that you see over here, well, the pastures look greener, I'm going to go over here. And then you go over there until they're not so green anymore. And then you're going over here and they're not so green anymore. You don't have any stick You don't have any endurance at all. And God cannot trust you with anything because you don't stick with it. How many times have you said, God, I will do that for you. I'll do that for you. And you, you sit out there to do it. You sit out there to get it going. And then something comes up. Something else comes up. What happens? God, don't let, it, don't, don't let that stuff wear you out. Father God, I said I'd do this for you. I didn't say I'd do it for them. I said I'd do it for you. I do it to them, but I do it for you. Went over that last week. I'm going to stick with it because I'm doing it for you. And you get it done. But it's just a little thing. It's just a little. It's not a big deal. It's just a little thing. Don't do it. Stay with it. There are three places you can be. Ur, I like it here. Don't want to leave. Egypt, things got hard, so I left. I'm in Egypt. In Canaan, where God has put me. The place you will have the greatest opposition is Canaan. You won't have as much in the other places. You'll have some, but you won't have as much. The place you have greatest opposition is in Egypt. Think back to what Joshua was told. Be strong and a good courage. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Things will come up in your path that will cause you to turn. Their purpose in your life is to get you to turn. Determine, I will not turn for you. I will turn for my God, but I will not turn for you. Don't turn. Listen to what God has said. Hear what God has said. And when God gives you those little one-sentence things, most of the time they're one sentence. And they are short sentences. What did Moses hear? Set my people free. Brother Hagin, what did he say? We went over it all the time. So what did God tell him? Teach my people faith. See, God is a man of few words. Doesn't say a whole lot on it. Even when it comes down to Adam and Eve, he just says, eat of anything you want. Just don't eat of this tree. He's a man of short, short things. Don't look for paragraphs. 
They do come once in a while, but most times they don't. But when He gives you that thing, write it down somewhere and you keep that. Father God, I will do this until you say not to do it. And you keep on doing it. And you keep on going. A job that I had such a hard time with at Ken's Pizza eventually grew on me and I loved the job. Had a hard time giving it up. Absolutely loved I mean, a pizza job. How do you fall in love with a pizza job? Loved the job. Loved every aspect of it. There wasn't a thing about it I didn't like anymore. Liked it so much, I spent 18 hours time, spent 18 hour shifts in the same place. No breaks, no way to go. A pizza for breakfast, Canadian bacon pizza for breakfast, pepperoni pizza for lunch, and works pizza for, for dinner. <laughs> Loved it. Came home tired, smelling like pizza. Loved it. I said, I said, Father God, you wanted me to work here. You tell me what I am supposed to do, what I am supposed to develop in this job. Because it isn't making pizzas. And he told me what it was. He showed me what it was I was to develop in that job. And so I set out to develop those things. God has a purpose for you. God has a place for you. And when God says to go somewhere and to do something, you do it and you stay with it and you just... I'm here until God comes back or until God says to do something else. But make sure you hear from Him because location can be as much of a hindrance as people and things. Father, we thank You for the help that You give us in our life. That there needs to be no hindrance in our life that we cannot overcome. We have been called to be faithful. You said even in a steward, it is demanded that He be faithful. We want to be faithful stewards to the things that You have given us. To the call that You put on our life, to the talents that You have given us, to the love that's in our heart that You have put there, to the faith that we have, the faith that we've been given, to the Word that we know, to all these things. We want to be faithful. In the face of opposition, in the face of everything telling us this is wrong, this isn't working, this isn't a good spot for you. We have many a person to look at in the Word of God who faced situations and they toughed it out. And oh, they were so much better for doing it. And we have people in the Word of God who didn't tough it out. And we see what happened to them. Keep us reminded, Father, of the people that we are to model ourselves after. Let's go after the Joshua's and the Moses's and the Paul's and the Peter's and the John's. So much better to be going after them. Thank you for the help that you give us. We will endure. We will overcome. We will be found faithful by your standards and not ours. And we will let no person, no thing and no place hinder us from being faithful to You. For what we do, we do for You. But what we do, we do to others. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.